Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and Vuelta Espana Stage 12, the Angla Rouge Stage, feared climb before the second rest day uh, tomorrow. The stage to Anglaroo, 109Ks, and all you need to know about it really is this brute of a climb at the end, the Anglaroo, 13.2Ks at 10%, but really it's the last 7Ks of the brutal ones, averaging, I think, like 12% with a 17.5% third to last kilometre. So an unbelievably hard climb with fabled winners before, Contador, Heras, Horner, I think dropped nearly back in the day in 2014 or 13, Kenny Lassonde in 2012. And uh, we knew there were going to be some GC gaps today. But this podcast is brought to you by Lacol. They support the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. And if you want to check out their road cycling performance apparel, get yourself a, a winter bundle. I know all y'all in Europe, maybe you're going to have to do some solo rides, etc. Um, coming up, unfortunately, in Australia, we're going into summer. Get yourself some fresh change of season kit at www.lacole.cc. Um, the link is in the description and the show notes. And they had their man, Wild Poles. We dubbed the Anglaroo Killer yesterday competing up there today. But Benji, what was the, uh, the status of the breakaway in this stage? A short stage, so we didn't really give it much of a chance given how hard the climb was, 110Ks. But uh, there was some decent breakaway action, wasn't there, with some GC team sending some people up the road? Yes, we had a breakaway of quite a few riders. Firstly, it looked like only two riders were getting in the breakaway. Fortunately, that quickly switched into a larger breakaway with, for example, Kataneo, Ryabushenko, Luis Leon Sanchez, Schellinger, we had Stannard, that's Robert Stannard, not Ian, he's not here. Edmondson, also from Mitchelton. Anthony Roux for FDG. Van der Berg for EF1, so Education First. Nospites, once again, one of the um, riders that has won multiple stages in multiple Grand Tours. He is um, Arjazer. And then Wisniewski for CCC. Kobe Horsens, a Belgian for Lotto Sudal. Van der Sand for Lotto Sudal as well. We had Guillaume Martin once again, together with a teammate. And we know that the goal of Martin is to secure as many K1 points as possible. And spoilers, he did it again. He went into the breakaway. He went for those K1 points and took the majority of it. And eventually that is leading him towards a complete portrayal of <laughs> dominance in that ranking. 76 points he has. The second person in that ranking is Carapaz with 30 points. So that's crazy. He's got like more than half difference. Anyway, I think that's pretty secure for Martin if he can finish the Grand Tour. There is not too many points left for grabs to try and catch up with him. And I don't think a Carapaz or a Kaz, the second and third person, are going to focus on that as they've got other things to focus on. Demolins being fourth in that, most likely not good enough to get it. Like, genuinely, with all these major climbs, Wellens is just not up there compared to a Guillaume Martin who can do so. Now, looking at that breakaway... 
One name I didn't name yet, Cameron Worth. He was a Ines Grenadier rider that was sent in the breakaway. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, satellite rider. But then I realized it's Cameron Worth. What are they going to do with Cameron Worth in the breakaway? And did you see a point in it when they put Worth in the breakaway? Did I see Cameron Worth? Like, what was the reason for him being in the break? I have no idea. I, I don't have any rational explanation other than time cut. Yeah, it's it's kind of... I don't know, it's difficult to think about because you would say, indeed, time cut, but nobody on any else is going to think about the time cut, I would guess. Cameron Worth is not that horrible of a climber either. He's not a great one, and he's not even a good one even, but I would definitely not place him in the people that are endangered by the time cut. So I was I was thinking maybe they're trying something, maybe they're planning something crazy, but it looked so weird. It looked so absolutely weird, and I didn't know what to expect from it. Now, going through the stage, Gilmantana taking DK win points, as I said. And there was only some action, basically, on the uh, Mosqueta when we saw some people try and launch an attack. And those were the likes of De La Cruz, who was in the top 15 of GC. And also the, uh, the legend himself, Esteban Chavez, once again. He's in the top 20 as well and was trying to move up. We saw that De La Cruz was bridging up towards someone. I'm not sure if it was a teammate or not. I couldn't figure out whether it was on a su- whether it was a Sunweb rider or a UAE rider, but I'm guessing it was a UAE rider. And we saw that Chavez was bridging up to De La Cruz, but somewhere halfway it just didn't work out because he started falling back again and was caught by the group where another team was taking control. And before this Mosqueta, we saw that Jumbo was pacing with the likes of Paul Martins and so forth. But on the Mosqueta, the changing of the guard happened because at the front of the group, Movistar started showing up. And we've spoken about this quite a few times. Landron keeps telling me every single evening that these riders at Movistar, there are such good flat riders in there. And those flat riders also have the ability to climb a tiny bit. And that's why on these climbs, they're still of worth and in the valleys for sure. But do you think that Movistar is one of the better teams in this Grand Tour as we've seen so far in the first weeks? Yeah, I actually think Movistar are overperforming sort of in terms of their presence at the front of the race, pacing, sending Mars up the road, sending Soler into the break yesterday. I think they're doing their best and I don't have any criticism for Movistar today. I mean, people make – it's easy to make fun of them. I said it in a previous podcast where – Bahrain did the same thing with Lander and the Tour de France, right? They paced with Caruso, Bilbao, and then Lander just got gets dropped on cold at our lows because he can't compete. But what's the alternative? Just not trying at all? Like that's not that's not cycling to me. So credit to Bahrain. I said credit to them in the Tour de France when they tried it. It makes them look stupid when he gets dropped, etc. And it's tough psychologically on the team leader when that happens. And uh, we'll see if the same thing happens with uh, Movistar at the end of today. But they clearly set their stall out again for Enric Mas, showing a lot of faith in him. And their tactics, I mean, we saw Soler, I think they were pacing Benji on a descent, a few treacherous descents actually going into the Angleroo. Um, but yeah, we, we saw Soler getting dropped, like getting yo-yoed on some of the earlier climbs before the Angleroo. Obviously, like we said, I think, I don't know whether I said it to someone or on the podcast or not. You know, Soler's effort yesterday, he's going to pay the price for that today on Angleroo. 
Uh, and we saw that even before the climb started. So he was going to lose a lot of time uh, on GC today, I think. <laughs> like thir- I'll tell you now, he lost 13 positions, moving from 6th to 19th. So maybe he shouldn't have pulled so hard yesterday and he should have gone for the stage win more so than gaining time on GC um, because he, he seemed to he get Godou got to sit in because Godou was going for stage win only. So that, in hindsight... He maybe missed out on a little bit <laughs> yesterday. But anyway, credit to Movistar. They obviously saved Jumbo Visma having the pace and bring back the breakaway. Um, I personally, maybe they just thought they could expose some teams on the descent. Maybe they wanted to thin out Ineos. They certainly did that until I can't remember when exactly. I think it was on the the second to last climb, which was yes. a reasonably hard climb, the Cordal, 5.5K is at 8.8%. Amador's crashed on the descent before then, I think, and he's had an issue with his bike or his hip. Carapaz has one man left with him, Chris Froome, and Chris Froome comes to the front of the peloton and attacks with Carapaz in the wheel on Corridal. At any point, Benji, did you think this is it? Did you allow the emotions to get ahead of you, and did you think, oh, this is actually a move that could get away? I wanted it. It looked amazing. I was (laughs) so happy to see it, like genuinely and i think i'm just missing Froome, and i don't know why and every time he shows up at the front of the group he he makes me happy and i don't know why because the last few years when he showed up at the front of peloton he didn't make me happy so it feels like i totally switched when it comes to Ineos because in the past i was always i wasn't really the guy that was shouting at them for being boring but I did believe that their strategies used in the past were counterproductive for the entertainment level of certain races. And I feel since that switch to Jumbo being more of that factor, I feel like I'm slowly but surely loving the people on Ineos more, but also because the riders seem... ah, I I think I like the rider Carapaz just... In general, he's got the charisma on screen in an interview. I love the guy when he's telling stories in that movie star documentary. Awesome. And every single time he can, if he sees an opportunity, he's going to attack. And, well, he did that with, with Chris Froome, which was just the oddest of moments. Because I wasn't, I was like doing something while watching the race. And I heard, oh, there's an attack with Carapaz and Froome. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I was really happy to see that even uh, even if the attack eventually on that climb didn't really lead to anything because they were paced back slowly but surely but um, I do think that Froome did a lot of damage in that group because it really went down a lot when it comes to him, the amount of riders in that obviously the majority of the people that dropped at that point weren't really going to influence the rest of the race but it was great to see honestly amazing to see and um it's sad that it didn't go further because, yeah, I don't know why, but I feel very supportive of Froome this Vuelta. Yeah, it's somehow the Ineos have become the plucky underdogs at the Vuelta. Um, not sure, not sure why that's the case, but they are. Um, but yeah, they quickly got brought back by Coos. That was going to be a recurring theme going into the the climb. It was Jumbo Visma pacing with a six man train. They had, um, I think they're even missing a rider, but. Yeah, they were pacing initially with Hessing very, very hard going into the base of the Angleroo. Now, the Angleroo 
it's a uh, climb in two stages. To get a quick time, you've got to do the first six k's quickly. The first six k's a draft. A draft is very important. It's not very steep. Average is like, I don't know, seven percent, six and a half percent for the first six k's. Then obviously, it gets ridiculously steep where drafting is less important. But to do a quick time, first six k's got to be quick, and to also maybe control the race. So hairsync pacing really, really hard, and then. I guess the MVP, there's two MVPs for Jumbo Visma today, Koos, but mainly Vingegaard. He rode out of his skin, the uh, Danish Danish rider. Well, now he's obviously Danish climber, probably their best pure climber right now. I mean, I couldn't see Fulsang doing what he did today. 23 years old, we already spoke about him a couple of times. I think he won that Polonia stage. Yeah, he looks looks very, very good. And he pulled on the Anglerou. He pulled the group into oblivion, <laughs> really. For, it went from 3Ks in a pretty large group, 30 riders or so, and then Vingegaard keeps pulling. They get onto the steep section with 7Ks left or something, and literally only the GC contenders plus Sepp Koos and Mike Woods for Hugh Carthy. So, um, in, but in that group, Vingegaard, Koos, Roglic, Dan Martin, Mars, Woods, Carthy, Carapaz, Vlasov, Wild poles. So yeah, that was the elite group. And Vingard kept pulling. Kept pulling. Eventually, I think with like four and a half Ks to go, you could see riders being under a little bit of pressure. I think Carapaz was actually under pressure. He slid to the back of the group when that pace from Vingard was really hot. Poles got dropped. Mike Woods, I think, eventually got dropped, but he rode very, very, very well today. Um, great performance from him on a stage that probably sort of stage that would suit him, to be honest. Uh, Onrek Maas pulled out of the group and was looking like he was struggling into the back again. Dan Martin, I mean, he's always just sort of going max hard to read. Roglic looked good in third wheel. I thought this was a formality. I thought the Vuelta was over. You've got Vingegaard pulling, Koos second wheel. Martin, uh, Maas, Carapaz looking kind of under pressure. Vlasov looked under a lot of pressure. But then they left Vingegaard on the front. For quite a while going into the, the last the third to last case pivotal is the 17% one and they've not paced with Koos at all they just left Koos there and then Vingegaard slowed down a little bit he eventually his pull kind of stops um and they've not paced with Koos and then who was the first man to attack Benji maybe the least like the man who Movistar had put a lot of faith in in that group we saw that a lot of riders were having odd positions and I think you mentioned it a bit already with the fact that Pools was going off the back, Carapaz was so far to the back every single second. And at a certain point, Andrik Maas moved from the front to the back. And it looks like he was hurting. And yeah, the man was sandbagging like crazy because he went to the back, pretended to be hurt, pretended to be dropping. And then 30 seconds later, bam, he was off on the right side of the road. He flew past everybody, took a gap of a good 15 meters and Vingegaard was out the front at that point, Gus being the next person to pace him down. But Gus can't go too fast either. He needs to set a proper pace to make sure that Roglic can stick on, first of all, because Gus is a really good climber, we know that. But also, we've got so much to come. I think Mars attacked with a solid 4 kilometers to go, somewhere around there. And that still means that the steepest section of this race is still to come. The 24% peak section and yeah it was near that point that Enigmas decided to hammer it and just 
swipe to the right of the road, fly past everybody. He made that gap. And then that second group started crumbling and crumbling. Moss kept that gap pretty well for quite a bit. But I think we saw Pools completely disappear from that point onwards. Pools has the ability of being dropped and coming back a thousand times. But he still manages to stick the gap between him and that elite group to like a limited amount of meters. And somehow he still came to the finish relatively close to everybody. So props to out Pools on that. He's not going to end second on this edition. Now, pulls off the back, and I was still worried for Karapaz because Karapaz was still sitting at the back. We saw that when Pulse dropped from that group, Karapaz went past Pulse, and that's when I saw a light that I wanted to see in Karapaz. Karapaz was pretending, I, I feel it, because he was at the back of the group, and every single time somebody dropped off the back, he super easily pedaled past them and takes the next wheel. We saw that with him, with Pulse. We saw that with Woods a bit later. And every single time he was slowly but surely moving up. Now, was there a moment where you thought that Roglic was in trouble? Oh, yeah. Massively. I thought he was in big, big trouble when, again, all the other GC contenders swarmed around him and were attacking across to try and get across to Enric Marswil. Carthy, I think, had attacked initially his first attack. Dan Martin was chasing back on, who'd already been looking in big trouble and maybe had dropped. Vlasov attacked across, who'd uh, sort of come back around Roglic. So, yeah, Kus and, Ma- and Roglic were chasing for a while, chasing Mars, and had, I think, even separated from those guys or even chasing Carapaz. But then they started going backwards, and those guys, other guys who'd been dropped, Vlasov, Martin, and... Uh, who am I forgetting? Carthy, they were then coming back around Roglic, and that was when I, was, I thought, okay, he's in trouble. And also, when Koos was dropping him, you could see gaps, small gaps coming between Koos and Roglic on the wheel. Koos was so much stronger than Roglic today on this climb. Koos could have won this stage uh, for sure, I think, if he was freed. Obviously, the, the free step Koos movement grows stronger than ever. Um, but yeah, he. He had a bigger role to play today, so he had to pace Roglic for the entirety of the last three kilometers and protect him. And yeah, I thought Roglic was in was in trouble, but I never at any point, Benji, I never thought he was going to lose like two minutes or anything crazy because Carapaz's attack really, it was only in like the last 1,700, 1,800 meters, so... We've got the last, you've got to remember the last kilometre of Angleroo is not actually that steep. The last kilometre is 3.5% and flattens off and there's actually a little descent at the end. So once you get into the last K, having a draft, having someone pace you makes a really big difference. So I think Roglic pretty much just lost that time in from 1,500 to 1,000 to Rouge. And so that's not really enough time when he's not completely capitulating. He's not bonking. It's not a long stage, so they don't have that sort of issue. Um, so, no, I, I never really thought he was in, in big trouble. Did you or you thought just that Koos was going to help him limit losses? There was one moment where I started worrying about Roglic for a second because we had the moment that you say that Carfi and Seforth passed Roglic and Gus. I noticed that a motorbike started riding next to them perhaps to like get video footage, obviously. But what was noticeable is from the helicopter camera, we saw that 
at a certain point, Roglic took a bit of a gap on Kuz once again, and he started zigzagging on the road. And we had a frontal camera. His face looked like he was dying. And we bent back to the helicopter camera, and he was still zigzagging slowly but surely next to that motorbike, almost hitting the motorbike at a certain point. So I think that was the weakest moment of Roglic on that climb, and he was in serious pain right there. But after that, it looked like he was able to recover slowly but surely once the gradients went down a bit more and was able to reduce the gap to the following riders that were ahead of him. Well, quite a bit. But we had some action at the front as well, obviously. We had Carapaz up front, Carapaz with Carfi still there. And I think Carapaz and Carfi were at a certain point both at the head of the race. We had Vladov chasing a tiny bit behind that, Maas still hanging in between somewhere. And Maas, despite giving the fast attack, not being the strongest in the end for sure, but also being stronger than I would have anticipated for this stage. Dan Martin was also just hanging out, hanging between everybody. He eventually fell through to the Roglic group again with Sepkaz in there as well, still pacing Sepkaz, trying to keep the pace low enough to make sure that Roglic can follow, but also high enough to make sure that he can reduce the gap to the people in front of them. And, well, with Carapaz and Carfi going, I thought Carapaz has this, because despite what Carfi has shown in the first two weeks, he was strong in week one, had some weaknesses in week two, he was extremely strong on Formigal. I think he was the best on Formigal. And today, despite him being the, fa- the best on Formigal, I did not anticipate Carfi beating a Carapaz here. So when Carfi and Carapaz were at the front, I thought Carapaz is just going to keep on pedaling. He's just going to keep on going. And, well, suddenly, one of them cracked. Big Hugh Carthy attacks I questioned on the preview of this stage is he has a rider ever this tall ever won on Anglaroo well that was answered today standing well over 1.9 meters Hugh Carthy attacked and you immediately saw if you attack in the last 1200 a thousand meters to go on Anglaroo you get a decent gap which he did I'm talking he got a 10 second gap ASAP he obviously was holding a little bit back and he kept it going if you keep that into the last K, you're going to win on Anglaroo. Very, very hard to bring riders back, given how tired everyone is. And then you've got this, the descent in the last 500 or so into the finish. So, Carthy, magic timing from him for the stage win. Coming around Carapaz, the strongest on Anglaroo today, maybe out of the GC contenders. That's certainly the case. Maybe not Reece Coos, but yeah, takes his biggest biggest win of his career um he's obviously won a stage of tour de swiss but this is his first grand tour stage win we've got back-to-back days where riders have won their first grand tour stage hugh carthy from england continuing this tradition maybe the son of chris Froome, as chris Froome hands over the baton of least aesthetic riders on a bike hugh carthy can take up that mantle but love to see it he gives a great interview as well very charismatic um and seems like a really smart and funny guy. So I was happy to see him take the stage win. He's now into third on GC as well, Benji. Like, no joke, Hugh Carthy in GC either. He's um, 32 seconds back. So he moves that one spot, leapfrog, leapfrogs Dan Martin, obviously taking some bonus seconds. But, yeah, it was then 
Karapaz keeping pacing, keeping pacing, but I think Vlasov was sitting on him in mass and they came around. Karapaz took some of those, more of those bonus seconds. Vlasov, I mean, he is as good as pretty much on the level of all these other top GC guys. He just lost that time on the first couple of stages. He's looked right up there. You wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that he's six minutes or something back on GC looking at today and yesterday. But then, yeah, Karapaz, Mas and Vlasov 16 seconds behind Carthy. Then coming in fifth, being paced by Sepkus the entire way, Primoz Roglic fifth, 26 seconds behind Carthy, 10 seconds behind uh, Karapaz, I think losing a couple of bonus seconds. No, not losing any bonus seconds, I don't think. Dan Martin in that group as well. Dan Martin again fought very bravely. He got dropped, came back, got dropped, came back. And then it was a big gap. A minute and 35 back to Poles and Mike Woods and then Gros Schardner continuing to hemorrhage time. 10th, 2.15 back with Mikel Nieve. Otherwise, George Bennett, 2.54 back. He's lost a lot of time on GC. Don't really know what Jumbo Visma's strategy is with him at the moment in the race. And also, obviously, as I mentioned Mark Soler. And Esteban Chavez drops another six positions. He's 25 minutes back, so not a great day for him but yeah what do you think about uh carthy benji a legitimate podium threat obviously i think i think that's a yes but is he a legitimate threat for the win of this welter podium threat for sure he would need quite a bit of a gap on roglic to be able to have a counterbalance for the time he's going to lose in the time trial but he's also not terrible at the time trial so if i was carapaz i'd be worried about carthy if i can't drop him on any climb anymore because then he might just pass Karapaz in GC. And to me right now, if I look at the whole story, not just Garfi, Roglic is still the head favorite for me in this Grand Tour. Because after today's stage, we've got the time trial, which is on Tuesday. And on paper, Roglic is just better than everybody in the top 10 on that time trial. But... We got to keep in mind that that's not the end of the Grand Tour. Although, that I still believe that there's only one mountain stage left. Stage 17. And all the rest is hill stages and so forth. And I think it's going to be really hard that without keeping in mind the mechanical issues that could happen or punctures or crashes, that, that's something you can't analyze in. So... I can't analyze that in, despite knowing that if something goes wrong to Roglic, Jumbo seems to be back panicking a lot. But right here, they, they kept control and they kept the gap to a very limited amount. And in the end, he's still in the pole position for me. Because in the time trial, I think that he's going to gain like two minutes on Carapaz. And compared to Coffee, maybe one minute and a half, something like that. That would put Roglic in first in GC, if I recall correctly. Karapaz would be, well, on second, or Karfi could be in second after the time trial. So that could go either way for me, depending on the outcome of the time trial. But I think with what is coming after that time trial, it's going to be hard for Karapaz and Karfi to actually drop Roglic at any point. Because on hill stages, those should favor Roglic as well, with his wattage on shorter climbs and so forth, that should benefit him. So I've got Kafia as a podium threat. I've got Kafia as a second position threat to Karapaz right now, but I don't see a possibility for Karapaz and Kafi to straight up beat Roglic from this point onwards without, unless he collapses, but 
I don't see it happening. This is not a three-week stage race. If it was a three-week stage race, I, I'd see the possibility on stage 17 that something goes wrong, if that was like stage 20 or something. But he's, he's not a newbie, it's not a rookie, so I completely believe that he, Roglic has control over this Grand Tour at the moment. And maybe that that's what annoys me a bit about today's stage, maybe? The fact that his team was strong enough to keep the Angliru closed until a good four and a half kilometers before the line. Oh, it took away a bit of the entertainment on Angliru for me. And I don't know if that's just me, but yeah, I, f- I feel like Vingegaard was no, I amazing. Agree. I agree with you. Vingegaard was amazing. You can call him Vingegaard for me because today he genuinely closed the race until five to four and a half kilometers to go and climbed the entirety of the climb before that. Yeah, honestly amazing. This guy, like, I didn't see that coming. I have to be really honest in that. I know he's got talent. I know that he's done stuff in the past, but this is by far above what I expected him to do. I think his best performance this year was ninth in that Avonapool Polonia stage. If we look at last year, he was pretty good overall. He got top 10s in GCs. He got second in the Tour of Denmark. He was able in Polonia to win a stage, if I recall correctly. Yes, indeed. And it was one of the hardest stages of Polonia. So it was pretty sick against Sivakov and Hindley. So definitely quite some talents. So he's got the talent. I didn't know he was he was able to climb like this, genuinely. And I think that shows that right now, even without Wout and so forth, that Jumbo has a way to control these climbing stages. Amador, I don't know what's going to happen to that guy, depending on what his crash did to him. Let's hope it's no injury, because he's got a potentially only hope to try and do something on a non-climbing stage to try and get some damage in the Roglic. But yeah, you might hear it from my voice, but I think that Roglic today showed that he can cover any attacks thrown at him from this point onwards, if it's not for any mechanicals or anything. Yeah, I agree that it wasn't. Uh, it's not an Angleru stage that will go down in my memory as one of the most uh, epic ones, just because it was Yama Vision did shut down the race, and then it seems like they were shutting down the race because Roglic wasn't feeling too crash hot, or maybe that just happened upon him. Uh, so once again, Yumbo Visma are banking on him gaining all the time in the time trial because Carapaz is now in the red leader's jersey 10 seconds ahead of Roglic on GC and uh, probably pretty safe assumption um, that he will be gaining a fair bit of time on Carapaz in the TT. And this last few stages of the Vuelta, we've got the last rest day tomorrow, we'll obviously be doing our proper preview of the ITT and the last five stages or so on that podcast tomorrow, but the last few stages aren't actually that hard. I feel like our hardest overall stage was yesterday and the hardest climb was today. So if the climbs aren't that hard or the stages aren't that hard in terms of calorie expenditure, then that really puts Roglic in, in pole position. So he is looking sit, sitting pretty. He is the heavy favourite to win the Vuelta. I think he's being given 65% or something, 70% by the bookies, which probably correct. Um but yeah, an interesting, interesting that Jumbo Visma didn't do too much yesterday. Obviously, keeping their powder dry, Bennett, Coos, and Roglic for today. Um, whether that 
improved their performance today and it would have been worse if they were more aggressive yesterday. I'm not sure. Coos was obviously on magic form and um, he did a really good job for Roglic. I think he saved Roglic at least 15 to 20 seconds, uh, if not more. But comment down below what you thought of this Anglaroo stage in the YouTube video um, for, for this stage. Anything else interesting from Anglaroo, Benji? I mean, I think good performances from Vingegaard, obviously not so good from Chavez. I think he was struggling with maybe accumulated fatigue or another mechanical or something, um, but nothing too much. Like, I think all these guys are at a pretty similar le- level, to be honest. Carthy, Vlasov, Mars, Karapaz, Roglic, pretty similar level. I think climbs slightly suit others more more than others. Like Roglic is just so good at that eight kilometer eight percent climb with a six percent sprint finish. That's just his bread and butter. Um, but he's also better on the shorter punchy climbs, like that stage you won recently. I think Chrono Escalada, the Twitter account, the Spanish language Twitter account, they said yesterday that they didn't think Roglic would win today's stage or do so well because Roglic relies on high cadence spinning. He won't be able to do that on Anglerou, and it, it didn't suit him as much. They thought it would suit uh, maybe even Carapaz, and I guess we saw that today. I don't even think I don't even think Carapaz felt his best today, uh, but he still, him and Mars still did their best, and actually, um, yeah, they actually put it on the line. So, so credit particularly to Mars for laying it on the line like that. In terms of climbing times from. Uh, Amatia Piarelli on Twitter, Angleroo. I like to look at the last 10K is more important because it cuts out the lead into the climb. I think this is up there. It's uh, it's a pretty stand, like standard time in terms of what the other riders have done in history. 16 seconds slower than White Poles on Froome in 2017. I think a bit, uh, 30, 40 seconds quicker than Jimenez. Uh, 90 seconds slower than Harris in 2000. So it's about standard with, I think, a little bit slower than Horner, Poles, Froome, uh, etc. So about about normal, it seems, for what has been historically done on the Anglaroo. Um, but, yeah, do you, I guess, do you, what what would you do if you were Ineos Benji? <laughs> I mean, just send some bad vibes to the uh, – to Yamo Visma or tell them that the laser helmets are really good for Roglic to use on the ITT. Are we gonna? What, what would you do if you're on the rest day tomorrow? What would you be saying to Carapaz? I honestly, I honestly don't know <laughs> because Carapaz just is not a great TT tier, so he's destined to lose time on the time trial, even with a helmet issue of Roglic. Even if he wears the laser helmet of Doom. <laughs> I think that Carapaz will be losing. He's probably going to because, yeah, it's a sponsor. But in general, (laughs) I just feel like, um, I don't know. It's the fact of the matter is that their team is not as strong as Jumbo. And as long as that's not the case, outside of the time trial, Jumbo can close down any stage they want. And definitely with Amadar now crashing and hopefully not having any injuries, I hope that can just continue onwards and that he can be of service to Carapaz but I'm not really sure without analyzing it deeply what Carapaz can do in the coming stages he um he's not good enough (laughs) which is harsh to say because he dropped Roglic but he's not good enough to put in a gap that is viable enough to beat Roglic in GC 
and that is an issue. And perhaps that's not an issue of Karapaz being not good enough, but the fact of Roglic being consistent enough in all disciplines, time trial, climbing, we know that he's the god of that. He's good on larger climbs. He's he's good on steeper climbs. He's good on less steep climbs. He's just not good in the rain. So I guess the least they can do is just do a bit of a rain dance because that's the only thing that can save Karapaz at this point. Yeah, maybe they can do that. I want to leave you all with this parting note about if anyone ever asks you why is team why are teammates important in cycling, I want to take you back on this stage to the second to last climb and imagine this scenario. Richard Carapaz has on his team Wout van Aert, Sepkus, Robert Hersink. Primoz Roglic is on Israel Startup Nation. He has no one else with him. On that second to last climb, Wout van Aert surges very hard. He's got Kus in the wheel and they get separation with Carapaz in the wheel. They Wavanart paces the descent and the flatter section into Angleru very hard. Kus then destroys and Hesink the lower sections of the Angleru. Kus then pacing into the some of the steeper earlier slopes. And then Carapaz has to go clear on his own in the last four and a half, five kilometers, where he's at the same level, if not probably better than Roglic, head to head. We saw that today. In the peloton, no one is really able to chase. Movistar have already been dispensed with. Ineos have no domestiques left, say whoever their other GC contender would be, and obviously Roglic wouldn't have any on Israel startup nation. In that scenario, Carapaz probably gains a minute and a half, two minutes, who knows. Um, maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but you get my drift about the – imagine that – and then juxtapose that with what we saw today. Chris Froome tried his best, credit to him. But Sepp Kuss ultimately closed that down, went past Chris Froome, who was at his max chewing stem, and got a beat on in a gel, and then went back and handed it to his teammates um, whilst Roglic got to sit in the wheels the entire time. So teammates matter a lot in cycling. Never forget that. I think today was a very good example of that with what Sepp Kuss was able to help Primoz Roglic with, even on a climb where theoretically drafting doesn't matter, but they've done studies, I don't know who they are, but I've read one, where drafting, even on, where it's not aerodynamically, like there's no aerodynamic benefit, people go quicker on the climb when they can be behind someone pacing them um, for whatever reason, psychological or whatever. So big ups to Seb Kuz today, and we'll see you on the rest day recap for the Vuelta tomorrow. We've also brought out the Giro recap. Go and check that out if you've got a spare hour. I know it's a little bit late, but go and check out that Giro recap of what was an exciting Giro. We uploaded that. We recorded it before the Vuelta stage today. Thank you, Lecole, for supporting the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow.